Hello and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast with me, Angie Mazzetti. Well, joining me today is Dr. Sean Andrews, who is a keynote speaker and organisational consultant. Sean Andrews' extensive work experience coupled with her dissertation research has given her a research-based expert level of knowledge in leadership, emotional intelligence, gender and unconscious bias, which seems like a whole lot of buzzwords that people in human resources talk about, but really Sean makes it all very accessible and understandable. Sean has written a book about the interaction of all of these elements and it's called The Power of Perception, Leadership, Emotional Intelligence and Gender Divide, which is published this year. And she joins me now on the podcast. Sean, it is great to see all the work that you and so many other women and men are doing around the world on rebalancing the gender divide and gender inequality. But it seems that no matter what work anyone does, you or anybody else at local or global level, things aren't changing nearly fast enough, are they? I mean, some call it glacial pace. Why do you think that is? Why is there such a huge resistance to change? Well, that is a loaded question, Andy. <laughs> but uh, thank you thank you for that. And it's a pleasure to be on your podcast today. So why is that? So I, I completely agree. It is a glacial pace. Um, and I refer to it as baby steps. We are, we've barely moved the needle in the last 30 years uh, globally. And, you know, why is this? And so this actually is the question that spurred me to study it in my dissertation research. And so um, I studied uh, leadership. So, so basically, let's take a step back. When I first saw the statistics around the leadership gender gap, number of women in the workforce getting education, and then the actual numbers at the top, I was shocked, like many people, when the numbers first got published. And that is actually what led me to think, what, well, what is behind this gap? You know, why do we have women in our developed countries around the world make up over half of our workforce? But yet, when you, when you, uh, you, know, when you look to the top, we have about 5% women leading our largest uh, S&P 500 companies. So we go from, you know, 50% down to 5%, you know, the higher you go. But then on top of that, you have, so women have been in the workforce for decades now. They have the experience. And as far as the education, we know that 60% of bachelor's degrees in both the U.S. and Europe are obtained by women. So you would, it, 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 it would make sense to think that you have the experience, you have the education. Why wouldn't we see that translate into numbers? And we simply have it. And so, um, like you and many others, I was curious about what was behind that. And there are a number of barriers uh, that keep women from reaching those upper levels of leadership. Um, so I'll just give you some examples here. Um, so, so what I did is I categorized the barriers and, 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 uh, in my, my book, you mentioned that I just actually just launched it two weeks ago. So my book just came out, but the main yeah. part, thank you. Thank you. So the main part of my book is actually centered around the barriers. And so, so for example, so we have, um, structural obstacles. So these, these include, um, lack of access to informal networks, which are still, uh, which are referred to as the you know the boys network is a good example of one and there's it's still alive and well today 
And this, and, and it, an example here is, you know, golf, for example. Golf is still a common form of building relationships in many businesses, but it's, it's still a male bastion. And so we have more men who participate in golf and relationship building, and women are not included in that, even though many women nowadays play golf. So, um, and if you think about, so, so golf is just one example, but there's also you know, dinner, drinks, events, uh, after work activities, sporting events, things like that, and, or even just informal get gatherings at work that, that women often aren't invited to. And so this is still an issue today because if you think about what happens in these informal events is uh, people let their guard down, people are having fun, they share about themselves personally, uh, you learn about each other. You learn about, um, you know, you get caught up on the latest company news and industry news. And so it's a great environment to be in, and it's and it's great for relationship building and opportunities. Well, if you're not part of that event, then you're missing out on, on key uh, key career opportunities and relationship building opportunities. So so that is still a major, you know, a major barrier today. But you can see many reasons why women would not like to do that after work networking with the boys because sometimes the signals are misinterpreted or, you know, we've seen that over and over again or they will be deliberately misinterpreted and, the, you know, those lines get blurred because a lot of women feel just feel uncomfortable. And also I think from my own experience, a lot of people just, when, they, when their day's work is done, they just want to get home, maybe to their cat, their dog, to their kids, their husband, wife, whatever, you know. So there is the way women approach the workplace and see the strategy behind the, those networking opportunities is quite different, isn't it? It is, absolutely. It, and women do have a different appetite for political networking. I mean, that, that that's a fact. And I, and I can speak so speak for myself as well. Is I My background is pharmaceuticals. Uh, for 20 years, I worked in corporate pharmaceutical biotech. And, you know, there was always after after work activities. You know, there was always, you know, we'd spend all day long at work and then there'd be drinks or dinner or we'd be at a conference all day long and then there's another evening event. And I just, I, I didn't like going to those events because I preferred to go just have some downtime or listen to some music or go for a walk or make calls, whatever it is. But women often don't have the you know the same appetite that, that men do as far as the networking part and and the, and for her briefly the political piece of it the political side of the networking and so um, you know so women do sometimes do opt out but I'll give you a great example of how this lack of access to the informal networks uh, still you know uh, persists today is a recent example is a, a pharma company actually had a meeting in New York and they had a free evening. And so a group of the men decided to go to Madison Square Garden and catch the basketball game. Well, so they all leave. And then a group of women are left to the hotel looking around. And they said, well, what are we going to do? And they said, well, let's go to dinner. So they all decided to go to dinner. And so the next morning, they were sharing their stories about the, the evening's events. And one of the men asked the women, what did you guys do last night? She says, oh, we went to a nice dinner, you know, here. He goes, why didn't you invite us? And she, she looked at him and said, why didn't you invite us to the game? And it's a perfect example of how we just completely miss each other and we're not, we're not inclusive in our behaviors. And, and that, this is a recent example. So it still happens. And so I think we just need to, we need to be 
men and women, but we need to be more inclusive uh, and, and think more broadly when it comes to these informal events. Because, sure, some of the women probably wouldn't have liked the game, and that's fine. But a lot of the women may have, they probably would have had a great time at the game. I think it's an interesting story because, you know, women are always portrayed as the hurt and offended ones. But yet in that example, it's the guy like, why didn't you invite me? And I've seen that happen here, you know, like I suggested at a, a film event recently, you know, it was about how to lobby for more funds for documentary making in Europe. And I put up my hand and I said, not for me now, but, you know, for young women coming through, could we ring fence some funding to help young women aspiring documentary makers? And a man who's older than myself turned around and says, what about older men? I couldn't believe it. Like of all the privileged groups there were, older men. But yet he was feeling aggrieved. Like it, it blew my mind away. I wasn't looking for anything, you know. Anyway, I, I digress. But yeah, I think that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole gender pay gap. I know you've studied this quite a lot. Um, why do we still have that, you know, gender pay gap? Is it because you know, the boys won't let go of the levers of power at the higher echelons? Or I suppose, why would they? Or is it because we women just aren't fighting for our place at the table? Like, is it our fault or their fault or is it somewhere in between? So before I answer that question, I actually, there's several reasons for that answer, for that question. But uh, do you want me to speak to some of the other barriers or do you want sure, to come back to that? Sure, Yeah, go ahead. Of course. Yeah, so okay, okay. the barriers are so, great. Yeah, so I, I, should, I should have couched it that there actually are many barriers, and I'll just briefly touch on them. So the informal network is just one type of, one type of barrier. There's, you know, uh, as we've, uh, you know, we still have lack of female role models, and, and we don't have enough male sponsors. These are all what I put in the category of structural obstacles. So, um, and it's important particularly for, for women to have male sponsors because the, um, if you look at positions of power, they're held. The vast majority are held by men, and so we we need men advocating for women to help women get to that next role. So um, another type of barrier is gender bias and gender stereotyping, which is still you know prevalent and persistent today. Uh, you know we 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 have certain assumptions and I should say misperceptions of women still as as leaders, as workers, as mothers, as wives. Um, in society and at work. And so gender bias is still, uh, you know, a major issue that that is pervasive. Um, there's a, another type of barrier is, uh, is an individual mindset. So uh, actually a fair amount of women hold themselves back uh, for different reasons. And we know this. Um, part of the reason is because, um, you know, it, it might be of lack of confidence or assertiveness, sure. But but men and women also often want different things. And so I've many women that I interviewed for my book and my dissertation research as well is I heard stories that, you know, when women look at the top, you know, president, CEO suite, and they said to themselves, I don't want any part of that. And oftentimes it's because the political, the networking, the politics involved and the work-life balance was more important. The work-life balance was more important to women. And so they would look at the top and say, I don't want that. That's not me. I value other things. And so, so women actually self-select themselves out or, or hold themselves back for different reasons. And then uh, another example here is, is um, what's been referred to as office housework. And what that is, is when women often do the behind the scenes activities in the, in the workplace that are, that are needed to keep an organization running, but they're, they often don't get noticed and they're time consuming. So some examples, Angie, is, um, you know, getting the coffee, bringing in the donuts, 
scheduling the next uh, event, scheduling the holiday party, taking notes at a meeting. These are all examples of is what's referred to as office housework. And the vast majority of people who volunteer for these activities are women. I think they're also so asked to do them as well from what, talking to other people. I talked to a few other women who are chief executives and they, some of their pieces of advice at the end was sit on your hands, sit as far away from the coffee pot as possible. And if someone <laughs> asks you take, to take notes, you say, I'll get someone to do that for you. <laughs> I suppose that's even accommodating as well. Like I don't take notes might be a better answer. Yeah, I, I just think it's interesting what you're saying about self-selecting out. You know, when women look to the top and they say, I don't want that sort of lifestyle. To me, that's the best argument for changing the whole system because a lot of men would like to be able to reach the top but not have to be married to the job as well. I, I, from my point of view, the more women are integrated and, and you know, more the system facilitates women as well as men, then it leads to better balance all around for both men and, and women. And I've seen this particularly in, in politics, you know. Um, and, you know, we have um, parental leave now for both men and women now, which is, is terrific in this country anyway, which is good. Just starting with the men, but it's good. It's a good start. Two weeks, I think they have, yeah. Yeah, so, so those those are the barriers. Very interesting, and I, I think they're the same the, the world over. But I think just to, to go back to the gender pay gap, I know that there are structural reasons for that as well. But also, you know, the guys are great for just going into the office. We had a, a, a speaker recently talk to a group of women in Trinity, and she said she, she runs a big company. She says every day the guys come in and say, where am I getting my pay raise? She says women never actually walk in the office. They just chance their arm. They'll just try, try, try until they get it. So they're always pushing, pushing, pushing for it. We tend to wait, sit in the corner, say, you know, I'm really good at my job, maybe to myself, but I'm not telling everybody else and they're not noticing me and they won't until I put myself out there. Is there an element of that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and and like like the barriers, there are there's multifactorial. So there's I actually wrote a blog about this recently on my website, and I and I titled it Seven Reasons for the Gender Pay Gap." So um, first of all, it's historical. Um, women have historically been paid less than men across all occupations for decades, and some people are still stuck in these traditional mindsets. And whether their behavior is conscious or unconscious, they offer women less money. So that, that is one reason. Uh, another reason is lack of transparency. Um, you know, we can't address a problem if we can't see it. And m most organizations still, um, you know, don't publish, don't publish their salary ranges for a particular job. And so if you don't know what other people are making, your colleagues, your peers, how can you address, you don't know if there's an issue, if you, you know, if you don't know what's What's out there? So, lack of transparency is still is an issue. Uh, gender bias—it's—it's uh, it's no surprise that gender bias plays a role here as well. Um, and with whether we're aware of it or not, we all have biases that affect the way we interact with others, uh, and it also affects the salary offers and hiring decisions we make. Um, so, to speak to your point, Angie, about the the negotiation and the asking part, uh, yes, there are negotiation differences. And, you know, I've heard some people, I've heard some speakers say, you know, there's, there's no differences in negotiation. And that's not what I found. Um, I, I teach, I'm actually a professor at uh, Pepperdine's uh, Business School in the MBA program. And so I have a section on negotiation skills, and there are, there are definitely some differences. So uh, it is true that women don't ask as often as men. And, and one of the main differences when it comes to asking for pay is that, 
when women negotiate, women tend to negotiate cooperatively. So they're looking for win-win situations, whereas men tend to negotiate competitively. So men are looking for win-lose, you know, win-lose scenarios, but, but men focus on the economic outcomes primarily. So the money, basically. The money is their main goal. And so they negotiate you know, hard for that, whereas women are focused more on um, co um, coordination and relationships. And so they don't, you know, we don't, we don't negotiate as aggressively because we have a different mindset because of what we focus on. Uh, and there's also, um, there's also data to show that uh, when, when women actually have negotiated aggressively, then they're, you know, they're perceived as less favorable. So there's a bit of a double standard here as well. So that when men behave aggressively, negotiate aggressively, they're often, you know, get what they ask for. But when women do the same, they're, they're not meant positively. Um, so there are, there are differences, but you know, another interesting thing about this is data has shown that when women do, women have the capacity to negotiate effectively and, and women are, are actually raised in our culture to, to be collaborative and, and negotiate. But um, when it comes to negotiating for other people, women are very aggressive. When they're negotiating on behalf of their team, they, have, they don't hold back. But when it comes to themselves, often we don't ask for it. And so, yes, so that does play a part. Um, you know, other there's a couple other reasons. One is, just frankly speaking, women are valued less historically. And the reason I, I say this is globally, um, women have had less of a global footprint or less of a global gender footprint. And what I mean by that is they're um, – they're valued less than men socially, economically, politically, legally, and culturally. And so, uh, simply put, this is the environmental in impact. So women have less of an impact. And so um, this gives men much greater power, and that power is often used over women and leaves them disempowered. So um, the value, the inherent value, how we truly value women plays into this. And then the last reason, it's probably the worst reason of all, why, why do women, why is there a pay gap? And it's often because they can, you know, organizations uh, will offer less to women because they, uh, you know, women often will accept less than men will. I think it's interesting what you're saying about valuing women's work differently. When you think of the, the huge numbers of women in the nursing and caring professions, caring for the elderly, caring for babies, you know, are we not just valuing the women's work? I mean, society couldn't function without, you know, I, I know there are men in the nursing skills, but they're much more predominantly, you know, done by women. And childcare and, you know, adult care, people with disabilities. Why are we not valuing women's work? Do they need to say, you know, we need to be valued? Do we need to cry out? Or are they just too busy doing the caring? Yeah. Um, it comes down to culture, global culture. If, if you look at, um, so, so there's a, a Dutch psychologist, uh, Gert Hofstede, who's been studied for decades when it comes to culture. And I, his work is fascinating because it, it looks at uh, dozens and dozens of countries all over the globe. And most countries, except for the Nordic countries, actually, most countries in, uh, in the world are masculine cultures. And because, so you have highly masculine cultures. And what that means is that 
men are valued, men's roles in society are valued more than women's roles in society when it comes down to it. It also means that if, if you have a higher masculine culture, that um, there's, there's more differentiation. So you have separate and distinct roles for men and women. Whereas if you look at um, some of the Nordic countries, even Spain actually is, is, is pretty high, is, has more of a feminine culture. But in those countries, you have less distinct and separate roles of, for men and women. So for example, in Spain, uh, you'll see just as many female police officers as you were male police officers. And that's it completely, you know, that's the norm there. But you go to other countries and majority of the police force will be men. So, um, so, so I actually, it comes down to the culture of our global societies and our countries. And so because of that value, that the, the value we place on men and men's roles, that translates into women's work being valued less. Phenomenal. I'm a big fan of the Nordic model. I know that they brought in um, in Norway uh, a rule was brought in by a man actually and <laughs> um, they called it coup by tabloid because he didn't even tell his prime minister he just announced the tabloids we're bringing in this new law that means that 40% of every uh, public company the board has to be male or female so there could be a dominance of one uh, gender over the other of course that was going to benefit women but it's made huge differences now some companies delisted so they could get around of uh, delisted as public companies went back to being private companies so you know it's it's a it's a tough challenge but the, the Norwegians seem to be getting a handle on it yeah, but the problem then is if you start at board level how do you get it to feed all the way down through the organization not just be strictly at the top and then the bottom and the sandwich bits in the middle get lost and um, how can men support women, though, uh, both at home? We were talking about the caring there a minute ago, but because uh, a lot of really good men, I know you've written about, I know you have written about millennials in particular, and they seem to be coming at life from a different perspective, possibly because a lot of them are working moms now as well. Or they've, they, we've had that generation with a lot of working moms. You know, what can men practically do? What can they do practically to support women and the journey of women up through the corporate ladder? ladder? Um, how can they support women at home and in the workplace? Yeah, it's a great question. So men, uh, and so for your male listeners right now, I just want to speak speak to the men. Men are critically important, and and we're not going to get anywhere near gender parity globally if we don't have men on board. And I found that the vast majority of men are simply unaware of these issues. They're just, they're just not aware of all the different barriers. And, and there are other, there are even more barriers I haven't spoken to, but, um, but men are simply unaware. And, um, so it starts with awareness. But the other thing is, is oftentimes, you know, if it doesn't affect us, we don't think about it. And, but by not, by not, I guess, being part, by not participating, we're, we're actually part are part of the problem. You're contributing to the problem. So we need men to be intentional about their actions and supporting women. And uh, so there's a, there's, there's a few things men can do. So one is um, to actively support women. So they could do this by mentoring women. So women, you know, women need male and female mentors. So that's, that's, it's great to have different perspectives. So actively mentor women uh, and then, as I mentioned earlier, Angie, um, sponsoring. We, we need more men to step up and sponsor women. And the difference between mentoring and sponsoring is mentoring helps you in your current role, helps you develop 
um, helps you get better in your current role. A sponsor helps you get to your next role. And so, and that's, and it's the reason I say we need men for that. So if you, if you picture, uh, let's say a high level board meeting and if, if one of the VPs, uh, let's say Jane, you know, Jane pipes up and says, I think Susan should be promoted. Susan's fantastic. Uh, the, the assumption or the perception may be, well, she's just supporting her because she's a woman. If Bob speaks up in that same meeting and says, I think Susan's fantastic. Susan should be promoted. That often carries more weight because one, it's a male supporting a female. Um, and so it often carries more credibility. And so for those reasons, it's critically important for men to sponsor women. So that's that was something I would encourage uh, your male listeners to do out there, to mentor a sponsor. And uh, another thing is uh, is listen. Trying to get the men to listen is rather difficult. And they will say, <laughs> oh, but the voice is shrill. They really have a problem with women's voices. Often, not, not, not always. But we, they just tune out. I've been, I've been at conferences where... Uh, I know there was one in the, the Web Summit, which is an amazing event that used to be here. It's now moved to Portugal. But uh, there were all these tech guys, mostly, in the audience. And there was a fantastic woman from Oracle on the stage. And she was talking about the technology and the Internet of Things and everything. And then, of course, they, they brought the subject around just at the end, you know, to about women and what's it like being a woman at the head of Oracle. All the male heads went down into their laptops. They just tuned out straight away and started working on something else. It's just like, doesn't concern me. I'm doing my own stuff. It was just like heads down. It was like watching sunflowers in a field at the end of the day in Italy or something. Like, heads just tilted. We'll be back mm. up later on when it's relevant to us. You know? So yeah. how do we get them to listen? <laughs> it, goes, it goes back to value, honestly. If you boil it all down, it comes down to how we value women in our global societies and, and in the workplace. Um, and, and, you know, this, it's just, it's, it, it baffles me because, because we have many fantastic men out there who are sure. corporations, they're leading, uh, and they have wives, they have sisters, they have daughters, you know? And so think about it. I mean, if you think about, you know, your own families, how would you feel if your, your wife, you know, got, got passed over or, or wasn't included in a, a network or, or didn't get an opportunity or didn't have a mentor or sponsor to support her or even worse, um, gets, gets pat on the rear end by her, by her male colleagues. You know, how would that make you feel? And how, so if she doesn't get the pay rise, then they know all about it. I think they tend to pay a lot more attention to money as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then also, so valuing women for, for the strengths because women and men, think that we think differently that's a fact and so just from that fact alone that that should be enough to to want to have different perspectives because um because women bring different things to the table so i'll give you a, a great example of this angie is problem solving so we approach virtually every aspect of business differently as men and women so let's look at problem solving when it comes to solving problems men are convergent so they're like a laser they focus in on a problem they're great at solving it quickly they they're not distracted by other things they focus on it very expeditiously and they they converge on it like women just the opposite so when when women solve problems they're like they're like a radar scanning the environment like and so we're um, women are divergent when it comes to problem solving men are convergent so just knowing that men men need to value women's ways and women's processes and how women problem solve and approach and approach business in the workplace. So 
so because the downside, the downside of the male way is you may you may miss other opportunities, and oftentimes they do. Sure, so, if we come back to the financial crisis, you know that. That, that radar, as you put it, which is a great word, that with the women were scanning the radar, but nobody was listening at the top. So it was like all the lemmings heading for the cliff face, you know, and nobody said, hang on a second, there's a cliff here. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, right. You, but you do need both. You don't need just the radar scanning. You also need the, the convergent and the divergent. I, I love that analogy. That's fantastic. Now, you mentioned one thing about, you know, somebody sponsoring somebody or speaking up and saying, you know, if, if Bob says Mary's great and she should be paid attention to. But if Mary speaks up, sometimes Mary isn't even heard because women's voices tend to get lost or what they say only gets picked up and it only gets heard when a man repeats it or says it and he even gets yeah. the credit for it. I, I don't think there's a woman around who hasn't experienced that one, you know? So what can we do about our voices? And we should we have to change? We shouldn't have to change our voices. They should have to change their ears and start listening to us a little bit more. But how do we get the guys to do that? <laughs> yes, yeah, and you're absolutely right. I, I actually, um, I, I came across, the, well, when in researching for, for my book, and also in my dissertation, uh, came with tons of stories about this. And I think this, this is a global shared phenomenon for women, whether they're an administrative assistant or the CEO of the company, this is a shared phenomenon. So women have experienced this where their voices are simply not heard in a meeting, let's say. And there's actually a name for it. It's called unintentional invisible bias is the name. So it's, it's when voice, it's like you said, like the sunflowers where men's heads just go down and tune out. So that is, a, it's, that's an unintentional, probably unconscious um, type of bias where, where men, and actually some women, but largely men are excluding, um, you know, just, just refusing to hear. So, so a couple of things we can do as women, and actually not just women, but a couple of things that can be done is that um, if, if, you know, you say something and 10 minutes later, a male colleague says the exact same thing, you know, with different words, you know, you could say, you know, great, great John for bringing that, you know, great John for reinforcing my point. I'd like to say a couple more things. You can bring it back to your, your original point. Also, if you are an observer, if you are just a, a participant in the meeting, you don't even have to be part of the conversation. You could also chime in and I would encourage everyone to do this. You don't have to be the leader of the meeting, but anyone in that meeting can say, uh, you know, that's that's a great point, um, John. I agree with you. You know, Sally mentioned that earlier, and let's let's speak to that. So there's ways to bring it back and give credit where credit's due. Uh, another uh, another example or another suggestion here is to uh, have someone uh, take notes or use a whiteboard and jot down ideas as they're posed. And so that way you have a solid record and you can go back and refer to. I love that and you one. Have... <laughs> and it's a, it's a simple one, but, but it works. Uh, and then another, another idea for you is to institute a no interruption policy in all of your meetings. Fab. Where nobody interrupts anybody. And that's just the policy in general. We have a no interruption policy in this meeting. We're going to give everyone floor time. We're going to hear everyone out. And something as simple as that can help. Fantastic. I'm going to finish up shortly because we've had a great time, but it's over half an hour we've been talking. Have you got a few things I wanted to ask you about? One, is this a new thing I'm trying out? What's what's your go-to song for empowerment? Like if you want to get yourself up and going for the day, is there a particular song that, 
that comes to mind in your head. Or, I got, I'm thinking of one, that, uh, there's a fantastic woman called Catherine Kyo who um, was chief marketing officer. And she says, you don't need to be liked, you need to be respected. So when I think of her, I think of R-E-S-P-E-C-T, you know, <laughs> Aretha Franklin. So are there any kind of go-to songs that you can tap into every now and again that kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm good to go today? Oh my gosh, uh, that's funny you asked that. So, so by the way, I, I, I just this is funny because I had no heads up about this, but I'm actually a musician. I'm a drummer, and so I have a whole playlist of these songs. I have like 700 songs in my what I call my cycling playlist because I also cycle. But and those those are my go-to pump me up songs. So trying to pick one of those uh, is tough. Um, there's there's one though that I really like. And it's uh, and it's from a, a European band called No No No. It's called Pumping Blood, and I just love the I love the music and the lyrics because it talks about you know you're strong, you know you're fearless, you're pump you're you're pumping blood, you know your heart's pumping blood, you're alive. And every time I hear that song, I just have to crank it. Um, so that, and there you know there's many others, but that one in particular is I, I could hear it over and over again. Excellent. Thank you so much. I've never heard of No, No, No. So from now on, it's yes, yes, yes to uh, pumping blood. That's great. Thank you for that. And I'm, I apologize. I didn't give you a heads up on that one. Um, oh, that's okay. Yeah. Kavi, just to finish up, I always ask people if they got their top three, top five kind of tips. I know you've given us quite a lot there already, particularly on the voice ones. I love them. Um, but any other key things you would say to women to, you know, to put their hands up, to step in, to lean in, whatever you like to say, what would you like to suggest? Uh, well, put it, putting their hands up is fantastic. Again, you know that one. That one's repeated a lot, but it's it actually is um, it's critical because I, and I see this. I see this play out every day in the workplace. I even see it in the classroom, where the the men when, when you know I ask a question of the class, you know the men just chime in and talk tend to talk over each other, whereas the women will wait await their turn and they'll raise their hands more. And so there's definitely gender dynamics going on, um, you know, in our meetings. And, and so I see women holding back, but it's interesting when you have a, when you have a mixed environment, you see that, but when you get all women together, there's no holding back at all. Women That's just amazing. share freely. So, so there is a gender dynamic that plays a part uh, in a mixed audience. And it's because of how we're socialized, you know, we're, we're socialized, oftentimes to, to be supportive, you know, not to be as aggressive or competitive as, as men, not, not, nice. all, not all women. Yeah, to be nice. To be, exactly, to play nice. And so because of these, you know, reinforced messages, um, women do that. And, and so, I, I, so I think the, the raising your hand is, is, is critically important still. Um, we need to speak up for what we really care about at work. Uh, and it varies for different people, but um, so, so one suggestion here for you is to have an honest dialogue with your employer about your work-life balance needs. So when it comes to um, breadwinner, we haven't talked about this, but when it comes to caregiver breadwinner issues, uh, even with among millennials, women still have the lion's share of the caregiving duties and the household duties. And she may also be breadwinner of her household. Men, if they're the breadwinner, they're rarely the caregiver. And so that's a key distinction still, even among our, among our youngest generations. And so the more parity we have at home, the more parity we will have in the workplace. 
And that's a fact. So uh, because because we can't be 100% successful at everything. So so I would recommend uh, for your female listeners out there is to have an honest dialogue with your employer about their needs. Also have an honest dialogue with your spouse or partner about breadwinner caregiver issues and duties because it's it's critically important. You know, maybe you trade off. Maybe, you know, one time now you sacrifice for your career and then he or she sacrifices for their career down the line. Um, Have you one more? (laughs) Sure. Um, For the, let's see, what would be a good one for you? Um, Actually, when it comes to, let's talk about networking just for a minute since we touched on it. So when it comes to networking, so so men are raised in a culture where, you know, they're used to networking, they're comfortable with it because they're raised in that male culture. Women aren't quite as comfortable with it because oftentimes, you know, women think it's, it feels a little smarmy, you know? Um, and so, but what's, what's interesting here, Angie, is that women actually have bigger networks. Women have bigger networks than men and they're often mixed male, female, whereas men tend to have smaller networks. They just are more active with that network and reaching out and helping each other. So if women just leveraged their vast and cultivated their vast network, that would go a long way to help them in the networking, you know, realm. So just leverage those contacts you have, you know, reach out to people more in your network, ask how you can help them and how they can help you. Thank you so much for being an amazing guest on the Women in Leadership podcast. Tell me again the name of your book and where people can get it. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's, it's called The Power of Perception, Leadership, Emotional Intelligence, and the Gender Divide. And it's actually available now on both in-store and online. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and uh, other bookstores as well. And um, the best way to uh, reach me is actually my website. Uh, it's uh, www.drshawnandrews.com. Now, we in Ireland spell Sean differently to you because it's the Irish word for John. But I know you and I'm saying it's slightly different to we say Sean. Yours is more Shan. Is it, tell us how you how you spell it, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Yeah. So it's Sean is S-H-A-W-N. And, and my website is Dr. No period, just D-R, D-R, S-H-A-W-N, Andrews. So, and actually, I'm Irish myself. I have a lot of Irish in me, so. Really? Now, this, yeah. you're singing our tune now, so tell us, how, how Irish are you, Sean? Actually, well, funny you ask that. I just had, I just had one of those 23andMe DNA tests, and I, I actually assume, see, I was adopted, and but I've, I've met my biological parents, and so I've always been told that I was a little bit of Irish, mostly Scottish and then mostly Italian. So I've grown up thinking this about myself. So I just got my DNA test back a few weeks ago. And what it showed is that I'm 53% Irish. (laughs) And I had had no idea. I'm actually more Irish than anything. And I thought I had more Italian and Scottish in me. But yeah, Mm. I actually had more mostly Irish and some English as well. And were you, were you able to find out what parts of Ireland, because this is very important to Irish people, it's a small country by comparison with the United States, but we can almost put, you know, a name in a county, in a parish, if we know. Really? That. Sure, yeah. It's one of my other passions is genealogy, so, yeah. Uh, we'll have oh. a, a little conversation about that afterwards. But listen, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to you and talking to you and hearing what about your research and all that and the best of luck with the book uh, I'm going to get one myself great well thank you so much Andy it's been fun
That was Sean Andrews, my guest this week on the Women in Leadership podcast. If you want to get in touch to suggest an inspiring woman you know, please do contact us through the website womeninleadership.ie or you can email us at info at womeninleadership.ie. I really love Sean's choice of music and it's a new feature we're starting here on the podcast about inspirational songs. So if you have any song that inspires you and gets you going when times are tough or when you're under pressure, we'd love to hear from you about yours. You can contact us via the website womeninleadership.ie or you can email us info at womeninleadership.ie. Until the next time, from me, Angie Mazzetti and all the team here, goodbye and take care. Mm-hmm.